0: Welcome to the Women in Wales First Poetry in a Climate of Change podcast. I am Jordan Imani Keith, Seattle Civic Poet 2019-2022. This series highlights the shared experiences of women who recognize the intersectional risks and benefits we share with the whales of the sailor's Sea. Hello and welcome to Women in Wales First. As we are moving through a time of pandemic and a time of consciousness about the experiences that Black, Indigenous, people of color have, I feel very honored to have conversations with the selected few who participated in the Women in Wales Workshops, writing workshops, creating pantooms to bring attention to the experiences that they have as well as those experiences of other mammals who inhabit the area of the Salish Sea. The Women in Whales Project comes out of my passion for protecting women's health and protecting the health of our endangered orca whales by protecting the health of the Salish Sea. One of the things that made the call so special was I needed people who could answer and know if they felt that they were endangered species. Our Urban Wilderness Project, one of our signature questions is, are you an endangered species? and we ask you to find out. As black indigenous women of color in Seattle, we share the urban wilderness of the Salish Sea with the endangered killer whales. Our bodies face the same cumulative risks of environmental toxins and the harms of objectification, yet we both survive and are revived by the cumulative benefits of matrilineal wisdom, tradition and community. Our brilliance and wellness is entwined with the need for healthy and protected social and natural ecosystems. I am thrilled to welcome Jaeun Kim, who has been the creative assistant for the Women in Wales First Poetry in a Climate of Change project throughout the end of 2020 and into 2021. Jay graduated with a BA from the University of Washington. They have worked at nonprofits, Powerful Voices, and Young Women Empowered, and have facilitated many arts-based and social justice education programs for young people. Kim creates with various mediums, speculative fiction, poetry, urban mythology, performance, visual, and fiber arts. In 2015, they were invited to stay at Hedgebrook for a short-term writer's residency. Jay, I'd like to welcome you. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm very excited to have you and to talk with you about your personal experiences and work in this project One of the questions that drives me, I'm going to share with you and ask of you. When you think of yourself as an individual, or your family, or your cultural, ethnic heritage, where do you see or recognize intersections between the experiences that the Orca whales, particularly in the Salish Sea, particularly the endangered uh, southern resident pod has, with your own experiences as an individual or as part of a, you know, your collective family, whoever you call your family, can you talk to me a little bit about
1: that? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's a very large question, and there's a lot of aspects to it. I feel like thinking about where I fit, along with specifically the orcas and whales of the Sailor Sea, um, thinking about being a Korean person who's in diaspora, being displaced and growing up in these lands, um, but also being very much nurtured by these lands. Um, I feel like I have, yeah, just a lot of respect and, um, and a lot of investment in the people here, the land here, and the water here. Um, and I was when I was reading about, for example, Tokite, also known as Lolita, and uh, her capture, um, and also just learning more about um, how many whales were captured during that period of time in the 1970s, and ha- what actually happened when they were captured, it very much reminded me of Just, you know, family stories of war and displacement and um, that kind of thing in general. Um, I remember reading that there were like boats and planes and bombs that were used um, in order to capture the orcas. And so that was something that really um, made me think a lot about my own family's history and just um, thinking about the ways that um, specifically... Korean women um, were impacted by, uh, you know, Japanese colonization, but then also by U.S. militarism and are still impacted because the U.S. still um, has, you know, geopolitical holds and uh, occupies Korea. And so like that feeling of like sort of being captured or um, maybe used by the military and also just thinking about uh, the U.S.'s history in, in Korea, um, the ways that, yeah, there's a lot of Korean adoptees, um, and that's a really big history for um, the, especially the last several generations of Korean adoptees who a lot of women, I guess, in Korea, um, from what I've read, there's been a lot of accounts of people being coerced into giving up their children um, for like U.S. folks who are wanting to adopt, um, you know, Asian babies and that kind of thing and putting a lot of demand on um, sort of the countries that the U.S. is occupying or Western people are occupying and the ways that like, you know, a lot of those children have been historically taken to different locations, which is very much reminds me of uh, Tokite's story in a different way. Wow. That's
0: a lot of intersections. So being removed from family, I don't know how many people know that bombing that you're talking about. And I don't think people really think of bombs having been used to um, capture the orcas um, in Penn Cove off of Whidbey Island. And when you said that, It shifted how I thought about it because even though I read they used bombs to herd them, the whales knew what was happening, but they had to give up when they had done all they could to try and keep their young from being captured. And hearing you say that in the context of Korean heritage makes me see alignments between a kind of consciousness How do you think, if that's true, and I don't know if you see it that way, how do you see or do you see any ways that we can move forward in reconciliation or repair or recovery, both, you know, speaking of your heritage and then any things that you've seen or learned that people might be able to apply to the efforts to? to repatriate the last living, captured orca from that pod.
1: Yeah, I think that things that come to mind of just in general when we think about endangered species or how we interact with and sort of decide for endangered species, kind of what their fates will be or what the best way to be able to help them or serve them would be. I remember reading that there was, you know, multiple instances where people would be like, oh, well, these whales can't go back into the wild because they've been away for too long, even if it's not a super long amount of time, or they're also young. So that is um, often used as a reason to um, keep them contained um, or bring them into aquariums and that kind of thing. And yeah, just thinking about relating that towards Korea in terms of like, Being able to self-determine and like thinking about ways that, you know, maybe Korean people can self-determine without kind of U.S. influence or other people's influence. Um, What does it mean for, you know, a lot of the Korean peace efforts in general have been actually led by women in Korea. So there's like a whole organization called Women Across the DMZ. Um, and they have been huge leaders in being able to take back Korea for ourselves and for us to be able to make decisions for ourselves about um, our country and reunification of North and South. Um, and then, when thinking about like the whales, too, there was an instance that Donna um, in our panel that we did recently was talking about um, a story of Springer, the orca, who was actually brought back into the wild and was able to be returned and be able to the ways that humans were able to create circumstances or a situation where they were able to bring Springer back home but let Springer find their family again Um, and instead of just deciding to take Springer to aquarium or something like that um, but like really trying to create conditions where they could go back home. And ideally, it would be wonderful if we didn't have to create conditions where we're choosing for wildlife all the time and wildlife are just able to be wild.
0: One of the things, too, when you were talking, I know um, people of the diaspora, different diasporas, African diaspora included, you start to have this kind of cultural... Identity crisis, especially when you feel removed in any way. But there's also that narrative being placed on to these whales. And they speak like us, you know, they have their own languages and their own cultures and their own, even though. They're the same species, like all humans are the same species. Every pod has a different way of communicating, different language and different foods and everything that they eat. And I think your example about Springer shows, yeah, they don't forget Springer got lost, but Springer didn't forget, right? So I would love to hear your poem, Um, and I will just introduce for the audience... Part of the Women in Wales First Poetry in a Climate of Change project has been to create pantoums in response to our cultural connections, our marine ecology passions, the things that we know about ourselves and the whales. And the pantoum is a Malaysian form that repeats the second and fourth lines throughout the, the poem for our collection, our cohort of seven women, all black, indigenous, people of color, we decided to further weave ourselves together by using a line from each poem, from each poet in our own poems, and then to use the pantoon form. So I'm excited to hear and share with you Jay's
1: poem. This is um, a supplication to whales. You tell me I am not her, all lands that touch all ancestors. You tell me so that my bones don't rattle my skin. Is an ocean just salt water or more whales, seaweed and sand, all lands that touch all ancestors, stuck between seen and unseen. Is an ocean just salt water, or is it more rock, coral, rainstorm? On Turtle Island, U.S. warships defile the house of a local dragon god. Stuck between seen and unseen, seven generations rise to the surface here, enter oxygen. Breach memory. Off Turtle Island, U.S. warships defile the house of a local dragon god. Somewhere, an auntie quietly makes offerings. Seven generations rise to the surface, here enter oxygen, breach memory. Epigenetic grandmother codes our own basic nature, somewhere an auntie quietly makes offerings, and I want to tell us we are winning. Epigenetic grandmother codes our own basic nature, a long past chasing this moment, and I want to tell us we are winning. And it's true, the womb begets the womb of infinite possibility, A long past, chasing this moment, what a storm we've had. And so deep breaths of all kinds mingle. It's true, the wound begets the womb of infinite possibility. In all of my lifetimes, I supplicate an ocean wisdom queen. Remain near to me. Remain dear to me. Seven generations rise to the surface. Here enter oxygen, breach memory. You tell me so that my bones don't rattle my skin. Somewhere an auntie quietly makes offerings. You tell me I am not her.
0: Wow. The wound begets the womb. Did I get that right? hmm I heard it again differently. And auntie, having recently spent quite a bit of time in Jamaica and knowing that that is a very specific cultural way of of identifying respect and family that moves through certain communities. And, you know, in my family, you always called, we didn't say auntie, but, you know, everybody was aunts. And then you were like, oh, you found out you're, you're related, but you're not blood. And I want to close our conversation with asking you, I wonder what, what it was like for you to be part of our community. We decided you and I, actually, you, really, thank you, decided that we should form more than a writing workshop with the cohort, that we should form a community, especially to support us through the very physically dark times of December, the emotionally dark times of the end of 2020. And, of course, the light shines in the dark. That's when you see it and you really did inform that idea of coming together. What was it like for you to see it come to fruition, all of us come together and then continue to write in terms of family or aunties or any of that you might
1: speak to? It was really special um, coming together. I felt like it was, like, very auspicious and, like, I just felt like it was supposed to be, I guess. And that started with the application deadline for the cohort being my friend's birthday who passed away recently and they were really like they loved whales so the fact that it was that day I was just like whoa that's that's really meaningful Um, in terms of coming together it just felt like really important especially being like a multiracial group of people to be able to be in space together um, to almost, yeah, try to decenter center um, Western ways of kind of relating to nature or environmentalism and doing it um, through this creative outlet was really powerful. Yeah.
0: Well, it's a specific way for, for folks listening that you would say, we decentralized a Western approach to the rest of the natural world since we are nature.
1: Yeah, I think that just like being able to even have the space for inquiry, I think that there were a few of us who were interested in, oh, like, what actually were the knowledges or wisdom traditions or stories that we had maybe before They were forgotten um, or, like, before colonization or kind of, like, the influence of Western thought. So, like, even just being able to, like, have that space for inquiry um, and to look into that more was really powerful. Being able to be creative and uh, write about our own experiences and the intersections of our experiences with Wales felt very... I don't know how to describe it, but it felt very non-Western and it felt more personal and it felt more um, interdependent. And I think that that's a big key of what your work talks about in general too, of, you know, we are nature, we are interdependent beings. So we're not separate, like one could not exist without the other. And so that has been something that has really been like powerful and sat with me throughout the whole time of us doing this project
0: yes your influence and uh, thought about mythologies and can you just say a quick bit I know that you really wanted to share with us about how stories influence us
1: yeah so for example in my poem I reference the house of a local dragon god in terms of just trying to decenter western thought and how even in naming um, thinking about within korean mythology dragons the sea the dragon king which is a god um, within our cosmology is heavily related to whales um, so much so that it's like oh is it a whale or is it a dragon and there's you know multiple tales where the dragon king's palace is in the belly of the whale Or is the whale? So, yeah, that was like one thing that I wouldn't have been able to find out had we not done this project and I wouldn't have looked into it so much.
0: Wow. The vision of that. The Dragon King's palace is inside the whale.
1: Mm -hmm, Wow. mm
0: -hmm. I don't think there's a a better image to leave people with. Hold (laughs) that. I have to say with all of my heart that I'm so thankful for your work for your participation in this project, for this time to talk with you, you and Kim, and to celebrate and hear your poetry. Thank you for being part of this podcast, Women and Wells First, Poetry in a Climate of
1: Change. Thank you so much for having me. The
0: Women and Wales Poetry in a Climate of Change podcast was made possible through the support of the City of Seattle Office of Arts and Culture, Jack Straw Cultural Center, and Urban Wilderness Project. I'd like to thank Gretchen Yanover for our theme music, and thank you, listeners, for joining us. Learn more about the Women and Wales Poetry in a Climate of Change project at urbanwildernessproject.org.